Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, Herstory heroes, and welcome back to Whining About Herstory, and happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Woo! This is a podcast about women from history, probably ones you haven't heard of, talked about by two best friends over a glass of wine. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And let's be honest, it's more likely a bottle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's, we're we're going to be real with you guys. Like we say it's a glass, but, but some days it's... Yeah. yeah. Depends on the day. Especially now. We, uh, we're just wrapping up a double header. So right. I don't know about Kelly, but I am sufficiently tipsy. <laughs> I'm throwing my phone. Yeah, she's like throwing shit Damn over it. there. Hold on. I'm plugging things. Oh, my God. I'm a hot mess. I accept it. That's my aesthetic for 2020. Right. Like, I'm a I'm a total disaster, but, like, I come off as, like, effortlessly cool a little bit. Oh, hell yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah, she's a disaster. But she seems really comfortable with it. Right. And I admire that confidence. So I think our say their name for today is going to be Martin Luther King Jr. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go super into it because I think everyone's going to know who he is. Um, but you should go, you know, read his stuff. Go listen to his I Have a Dream speech. You know, today is supposed to be honoring his memory and you should do that. Yeah. And we do our say their name. It's there for a reason, because whether you're a man, woman, non-binary, doesn't matter. Alien alien like it doesn't matter you know we want to acknowledge you and i mean this one definitely goes to uh dr king yeah default he was amazing he did some pretty sweet shit yeah if you haven't heard i we, actually, we could do like a series of episodes on him which is why we're just gonna like keep it minimal well this is also a women's history yeah, podcast and that i actually uh when i worked at the daycare uh for Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I read a book about like the civil Aww. rights movement. It's just one of those little like illustrated ones. And like I have 20 like preschoolers, you know, ages three to five in front yep. of me. And they're all just kind of like in la la land. And I'm reading this and I'm getting really teary eyed because I'm like, yeah, and they don't like understand. Yeah. Segregation was so fucking awful. And you guys don't even fucking get it. Okay. Like it was bad. She's just like bawling in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I like, I want to shake a kid like, you don't understand. <laughs> but that's this is a good why thing. she doesn't work at the daycare anymore. <laughs> that was my last day. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very emotional topic. And it only gets more profound, the civil rights movement, oh, yeah. as we get older. Because I was really into reading about it as a kid. And the older I get, the more emotional it becomes. Oh, yeah. I think it's, I... Well, and you can relate it to modern day things because yeah. there's struggles still going on. You know, I agree. I 100% agree. Yep. And uh, actually, what's really interesting is this was not planned, but I am covering a black woman today. Well, there you go. And but you should tell us about your before wine Before we get to her, uh, so I picked the wine. And uh, this is a wine I've revisited a couple of times because when my it's, friend... It's real pretty. When my friend got her house and I went over for the first time, I was like, okay, what do grownups do when they when someone like moves into a new place? Bring they wine get and a house plant. I didn't bring a houseplant. She's got a fuck ton of houseplants. She didn't need my help. But I went to the I went to the liquor store and I'm looking around. I'm like, well, I don't really know which wine she likes. You know, I don't want to just get something I like and then be like, well, I'll drink it all. You That's know, That's exactly what you do. 
That's exactly what the old, less mature Emily would have done. But basically, I picked this one because it's got a beautiful label, and I figured very least she can do something crafty with the bottle. So this right, is- or just set it on the shelf and never drink it, and it'll just look pretty. Right, or, you know, that'll be the wine that I drink when I come and visit her. I don't know. So this is uh, Prophecy Rosé. Uh, 2018 and they've got a Chardonnay and they've got a few other wines and all of the labels are these beautifully illustrated celestial Greek women and I mean they are they're beautiful stunning uh so this is definitely a case of picking the wine before the label and the background or the the back of the bottle says At Prophecy Wines, our inspiration comes from the beauty of the harvest and the possibility of greatness in a glass. Wines are drawn from our premier global vineyard sites, individually selected to bear each of the varietals' varietals defining characteristics. Prophecy Rosé showcases the best of the south of France. The wine is delicate and... Bright with the layered flavors of fresh red fruit, melon, and citrus, leading to a crisp and refreshing finish. What accent was that? That was my, like, semi-British documentary okay. accent. That was, like, my academic accent. Actually, I have a friend, when she resigned from her shitty job, she showed me the uh, email she sent when yeah. one of the, like, extra higher-ups was like why did you leave and and i read it in that voice well the environment was not particularly conducive to uh, uh positive outcomes <laughs> and i was an asshole so it's okay yeah so i've had this wine before i enjoy it it's kind of a muted rosé it's not super bubbly it's not super sweet but i enjoy it obviously i bought it again I'm trying to, f- there's like, in the smell, there's like, the very tail end of it smells like something familiar, but I can't put my nose on it. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> Excuse us while we like <laughs> inhale nope. our wine. We're just going to nose fuck these wines here. Well, let's cheers. And All so right. I can taste it and maybe I'll figure out what it is. So Kelly, what yes. are we choosing to today? Other than my brilliant academic accent. <laughs> Everyone's like, sure. We're gonna get a bunch of reviews, four stars. Like, this is a great podcast, but Emily, shut shut the fuck up. (laughs) Um, let's cheers to Dr. Martin Luther King. I think that is beautifully appropriate and definitely not what I would have thought of. Cheers. Clink. Are you playing footsie with me? Oh shit, that's your foot. I thought it was the end of the table. Yes, the end of the table is soft and fluffy like my slipper. Mm. Well, Ooh, I that mean, is a girl really can dream. Good. Like, yeah. I, I sipped it, but then I was distracted by teasing you about footsie. And then I was like, oh, that, that's good wine. It's cool because it seems I could, a little, I could drink like, this bottle. muted on the front end. And then it gets really tangy and, like, you get like, all the flavors. It, it blossoms like a flower. It juices in your mouth. No. <laughs> That's not how we talk about wine. Uh, I'm gonna leave now. This <laughs> podcast to the is Emily over. Podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing this. I'll just do it at home, and you'll just hear Charlie barking in the background like oh, a great. little turd. Oh, great! You get to go first. Oh, it's an odd. 
Oh, I get to go first. I we got liter- confused. We literally just recorded our other episode where I, I know, went first. I know, but because I did the wine, I got confused because I, I thought we did like the wine. That's and what I thought, person. but I think we switched it at some point. Well, there is a period where I bought three wines in a row and then you bought three yeah. wines in a row. So we're just going to go with this now. You know what? No one actually gives a shit. If you do give a shit, tell us whose wine it's supposed to be. Yeah. And if you actually give a shit, you should give us five stars because people who give a shit are important. Anyway, I am covering Lucy Hicks Anderson. And if you had heard of her, I would be shocked. I don't think so. So um, I found this woman from the queer, uh, your queer story podcast. I actually talked about them before. I, I love them so deeply. They have a Lizzie Borden episode that I'm like. My friend wants to do a 5K with me, and I need to listen to podcasts while I run, so I'm saving the Lizzie Borden episode for when I run a 5K, because I think that will be particularly entertaining and motivational. But I was scrolling through their episode list looking for queer women that they've covered, and I found Lucy Hicks Anderson, and oh my god. And they do a really great episode on her. It's an hour long, just her, so I highly recommend you listen to it, but here is your introduction. And also special shout out to the website Queer Portraits in History. Uh, there's It's a woman who illustrates queer figures from history and writes a little bio on them. And she actually had a pretty comprehensive biography on Lucy Hicks Anderson. And I shout her out on Instagram. Wow. And I was like, hey, I'm using your website as my research. Thanks for having one of the most comprehensive resources. And she's like, I just kind of pull from everywhere else. I'm like, well, yeah, I do too. But everyone's got a little piece of something. And right. you already put it together for me. So thank you very much. Definitely check out her site. So. There is this prevailing myth that trans people are some hip new trend, an invention of the liberal hippies who want to ruin the traditional way of life, which needs to be protected because this is the way it has always been everywhere and is the natural order of things. The truth, however, is that trans people have been around for fucking ever. In fact, if it weren't for all of the persecution, castration, and murder, we'd see a lot more openly trans people today. Yeah. Today, we are going to tell the story of one trans woman from the days of yore who was a straight-up boss. The days. The days of of yore. Yes. Okay. Lucy Hicks Anderson was born in Waddy, Kentucky in 1886. However, she was not called Lucy as she was assigned male at birth. From an early age, Lucy insisted on wearing dresses and asserted she was not a man or a boy, whatever. This was before the term transgender even existed, so her parents were super puzzled by their child's behavior. Makes sense. When they took her to the doctor to get answers, the doctor, in a delightful twist, advised them to just let Lucy wear dresses and to live as a girl. Shout out to that dude. Holy shit. Oh my God. And I mean, honestly, what does it hurt? I I mean, if she wants to wear dresses... I I guess there's nothing medically wrong with her. Who the fuck cares? Right. So her parents decided uh, to let Lucy wear dresses upon the doctor's advice, and she went to school using the name Lucy. And you know what happened? Nothing. Everything was totally fine. Go figure. Like nothing. She she was a well-adjusted child, and she wasn't miserable or suicidal or struggling with body dysmorphia. Crazy. 
So when she was 15 years old, Lucy left school to find domestic work so she could support herself. And she and uh, she's working like 12 hour days. She is hustling to the max. Then at 20 years old, she hit the road traveling to Texas where she worked for at a hotel for 10 years and then New Mexico where she indulged in her spicy side. In New Mexico, Lucy met Clarence Hicks who would have the honor of becoming her first husband Ooh. in 1920. And then the two moved to Oxnard, California. So she's growing up. And I feel like this is very typical, especially for women of color at the time. You know, you have to you have to work. Yep. And there is no way she's getting paid as much as a white domestic servant. Oh, no way. I mean, there, in some areas, there weren't white domestic servants because yeah. that was so, not their work. So she has got this stellar work ethic. It shouldn't have been that way, but she's hustling like a queen. So in Oxnard, Lucy quickly began to establish a reputation for herself. She worked as a nanny and a chef. Her food received great praise from the community, even winning her awards. She would host lavish dinner parties for the wealthy Oxnard elite and even host church parties. And like if soldiers were going off, she'd host. She was the party queen. Yeah, she was the hostess. The hostess. Like she would have her own reality show that nowadays. Yeah. She also generously gave to charity. In other words, Lucy was the bitch. Her marriage to Clarence only lasted nine years, but in that time, Lucy was saving and she was planning. After they divorced, Lucy purchased a boarding house slash speakeasy slash brothel at the center of town where nice. she served as the madam. And this is during the time of Prohibition. Slash innkeeper. Slash innkeeper. Slash, slash goddess. Yeah. <laughs> All of the social cred she had built up over the years came with its perks, especially considering she was running a super illegal business. In multiple ways. In multiple ways. Like, I support sex workers, but they were super not okay with this at right? the time. And it's Prohibition and she's running a speakeasy. Exactly. For example, when she was arrested for illegally selling liquor, she was bailed out by the town's head banker because he was hosting a dinner party that evening and needed her to cook and plan it for him. If you are not here, this is going to go tits up and my wife is going to be pissed. Right. Get out of jail now. As one scholar wrote, quote, when the sheriff arrested her one night, her double-barreled reputation paid off. Charles Donnellan, the town's leading banker, promptly bailed her out because he had, a, he had scheduled a huge dinner party, which would have collapsed dismally with Lucy in jail. Which just repeats it, but I like the term collapse dismally. Right? They're like, uh, yeah, we have everything planned, but you need to be there to run it. What's an appetizer? I don't know. I'm a man. I never have to go in the kitchen. I'm so helpless. Back then, probably. Yeah. <laughs> a little nowadays. Depends on the man. Oh, my God. I love So I love Jared, and he does cook, but I gave him, like, a recipe, and he was helping me make dinner, and I had him cut up some green onions. He's like, well, well how big do I cut them? And I was like, however big you want. I don't fucking care. Right? Like, do you want large pieces of green bean, or do you want tiny pieces of green bean? It was green onions. Oh, So it's like onions. those little scallions. I was like, you've had this meal it's before. Just what are you willing to put in your mouth? Cut them that small. Right. And here's the thing. That's when funny. it comes to car stuff, which I am super inept, I'm sure he's like, Emily, it's not that fucking hard. And I'm like, but I don't know. <laughs> I hope it's not in that voice. Well, 
depends on what I'm trying to get away with. <laughs> So in 1944, Lucy uh, married military a military gentleman, Reuben Anderson, and things were pretty chill for about a year until there was an outbreak of venereal disease oh, in town. Gee, yeah, running a brothel and venereal disease do not go well together. Yeah, well, everyone everyone in the town was popping up with STDs, and of naturally everyone determined uh to was determined to not take responsibility for themselves or acknowledge that when a society outlaws sex work it also puts the patrons at risk they started pointing fingers at Lucy and her brothel cuz god forbid they wear a condom just saying all of Lucy's employees including herself had to undergo medical examinations it was during her examination that doctors discovered Lucy had male genitalia. Yeah. Damn it. Well, and how did she keep that from her husband's? I like to imagine they were pretty cool. Okay, one of two things. Either they were super progressive gentlemen and they were totally fine with it and they understood that your gender is more than your genitalia. Right. Or they just... Like, maybe she didn't have sex with them. I don't know. Maybe she kept it super hidden. Or maybe or... they were gay. They could have been. Uh, I mean, I think that's a possibility. I don't... I. It really depends on if she told them before or after they were married. Okay. So I know that relationships in the past... Like, we, we've we covered stories where it's like they knew each other for two weeks and got married. But I like to think that there was like a courtship period. And here's the thing. She was a wealthy, independent woman. Yeah. She didn't need to like you know, hook a guy for his wealth and status. That's true. So I like to imagine that there was some courtship period and they were on board or understood. And I couldn't find a ton about their perceptions of the whole situation, but I will say Ruben comes off pretty good in this story. Ruben? Ruben is her current husband. He's the army man. The Ventura County District Attorney was quick to be a dick and voided Lucy and Reuben's marriage. Lucy was also arrested for perjury because authorities claimed she had lied by signing her marriage license, which stated no legal objections to the marriage. Because the state... Oh, being a man and a man. Yeah, they were viewing it as a same-sex marriage, and it's like, well, she had no legal objections because she view- she's a woman and she viewed herself mm-hmm. that way, so this sounds more like your problem. Right. But whatever, let's make it her problem. Lucy and Ruben were tried by the federal government. This Jesus. is outside of the state of California. The federal yeah, government is all coming the way after up. her. And it's not like there was a war going on and they had anything better to do. <clears throat> World War Two. Just saying. I don't know. Priorities. In her defense, Lucy asserted that a person could look like one sex but truly be another. She said, quote, I defy any doctor in the world to prove that I am not a woman. I have lived, dressed, acted just what I am. A woman. Unquote. Predictably, the government found Lucy guilty and she was sentenced to 10 years of probation. Oh, oh prob- that's probation. That's not as bad, but Jesus. But. Her husband went to jail? No. Well, oh. but. Not satisfied with this level of malarkey, Lucy and Reuben were also tried because they had decided that Lucy had been illegally receiving Reuben's allotment checks that she was entitled to as the wife of a member of the military. So when you marry a member of the military, you get a little, you know, extra cash on the side for putting up with all the, you know, stuff. Military. 
<laughs> but because they were ruling that their marriage was oh, not Jesus actually a Christ. thing, they were saying she was illegally collecting the checks. Lucy and Reuben were found guilty of fraud and sentenced to prison. I couldn't find quite how long they were sentenced. Uh, when Lucy re- was released, she planned Well, they probably re- sent her to a male prison. Oh, my God. I can only imagine. That still happens today. Oh, yeah. No, like, I can guarantee you they sent her to a male it prison. It is just a million shades of fucked up. It's awful. So when she was released, she did plan on returning to Oxnard. You know, I'm sure she just wanted to, you know, get her life back in order. This is the place where she had built a life, a business, a home. And it's like, man, this fucking sucked, but I just want to get back to basics, you know. But she couldn't even have this. The chief of police in Oxnard warned her to leave town or risk being prosecuted for her crimes there, too. So she had been tried by the federal government, which meant she was still free for the state government to persecute. Really? Yeah. That makes no sense. Well, there are actually cases. There's this really famous. uh, See, I've heard it the other way that like the federal government can still prosecute you after the state does yeah but i didn't know the other way around could also happen because you figure the federal government's like higher up so if they tried you you'd think the lower courts couldn't well and here's the other thing who the hell's gonna defend her who the hell's gonna step up and be like maybe this is kind of fucked up no one lucy having lost her home business and life moved to los angeles with ruben oh good I good. told you, I didn't find a lot about him, but he comes off real good in this story. So after well, all like, of this. Well, because he stuck by, by her with both trials, yeah. and now he's still with her. So after all That's of awesome. this, he moves to Los Angeles with her. Uh, this is where she would live out her days until 1954 when she died at 68 years old. Legacy. This is a shorty, but really she important. She was a badass. So we don't know a ton about Lucy Hicks Anderson because most of her story was told in newspaper articles written around the time of her trials. It was a shocking story to readers at the time and garnered a lot of attention. However, the salacious stories ignored many aspects of her life and personality, breaking her down to the unique nature of her, unsexy quotes, crimes. So this was like... A novelty. It's like men pretending to be a woman scamming the money, government, yeah. and they're misgendering her, and they're coming up with all this bullshit and just dragging news. her like, through I hate the mud. That salacious news. Yeah, it's awful, and it was even easier to persecute Lucy because she was black. So we talked about Christine Jorgensen, uh, one of the first trans women to become widely recognized for having transitional surgery back yep. in episode fifteen. And Christine was a white woman, and she would start her surgical transition in 1952, only two years before Lucy died. When When U.S. newspapers reported on her, she earned a certain level of celebrity and used her platform to advocate for trans rights. And, like, she was out there, and she was living her life. And even one of the... She was, like, a celebrity, basically. Yeah, one of the headlines was, G.I. becomes blonde beauty because, one, she was white. She was this pretty blonde lady, traditionally feminine. You know, she didn't have, like, this extra thing that they could use to persecute her like they did with Lucy because Lucy was black. And I don't know how strictly she conformed to, you know, gender norms of the time, but we're always going to hold up the pretty white lady higher than the the black lady. Like, that's this trend. Not here. We need to fucking acknowledge it so we can stop doing it. Awful. 
So while Christine's journey can't be described as easy or free of persecution because it was it was difficult, it's hard to ignore the differences in these two women's stories. What we should take away from Lucy's story is that when supported, she grew up to be a successful and well-respected member of society, and she would have lived out her life in peace had the community around her not persecuted her so viciously. So when we ask, how do I explain this to my children? You say, it's normal. Right. Well, what do I do if my child wants to wear a dress or wants to to live as a boy? You let them because it's your problem. It is not theirs. Yeah. This was a hard, this was like, this is one of the stories I'm reading through. I'm like, man, the doctor's on board, her parents on board. She's like making money. She's opening her own business. This is, oh, damn it. (laughs) I got so, I literally, I was reading and I like Emily's like, yeah, I finally have a pick me up story. Let's go. I didn't. It was, it was short though. But yeah, I mean, and this is still happening today. This is such an important story to share. It is. So trans women out there, we see you, we acknowledge you, we love you, and we support you. And trans women are women. Say it louder for the people in the back. <laughs> I'm so- I mean, I agree with you. Trans women are women and trans men are men. Yeah. But it was just, she was like up there like pumping her arms. I'm so <laughs> it was fucking really worked up. It just, it drives me nuts. I, I just, don't understand. Well, it's like. Mind your own business, people. Yeah, it's like I'm sorry. Let you're so live concerned how they want to my... live. Okay, so quick it shout doesn't out. Matter what's in my pants. There, there is this podcast I started listening to called Sluts and Scholars, which is absolutely fantastic. I think all of our listeners would really enjoy it because it's all about sexuality and sex, and like you know, you can still be an intelligent, respected woman and be a sex worker or a porn actress or, right. and they uh, interview. An individual, uh, they go by they and them, who was who is intersex. And they didn't find out until they were an adult because they were told when they were like 13 that they're... So they were raised as a girl mm-hmm. and they were told that their undescended testicles were cancer. These like little cancerous tumors. And so this person grew up thinking that their body was a time bomb that was just waiting to kill them. And here's the crazy thing. Like, did their parents tell them that? They found out. They had to, like, go back through their... They had to get their No, I meant, like, cancer. Did their parents tell them it was cancer? The doctors told this person and the parents. Here's the crazy thing. The doctors knew that they were testicles. All the doctors, little medical students that they were toting around knew they were... They all knew that this person was intersex, but decided to play it off as, No! You have cancer! That's terrible. It's such a nightmare, and this person had such a hard time coming to grips with that. And it's like, okay, well, what does make you a man or a woman? Right. D- tell me. Tell me. What is the definitive thing that crosses from one gender to the next? There isn't. It's because it has to be your hormones or your genitalia. And none of these things ever perfectly line up in so many cases. So how can you tell me there are only two sexes or genders? Right. Fuck you. Well, and everybody has both hormones. Yeah. And some people have higher amounts of testosterone versus estrogen, even if they have a vagina. Right. Like, and what does it fucking matter? Because it's like for you to have to know someone's gender. Okay. What does that determine? How much respect you give them? All you need to know is what pronouns. For me, it's like if I walked out of a bathroom stall and I saw someone that looked like a man in the women's restroom, 
I wouldn't panic. I would be like, all right, that's weird. But as long as he doesn't like accost me, I wouldn't give a shit. Yeah. And, I, you know, we get into that area of like. But like that's what the, the number one thing people talk about. They're like, yeah, I wouldn't want to come out of the restroom and find a man there. And I'm like, honestly, as long as he's not being like creepy and doesn't have his dick out, I don't give a shit. Let's be honest, too. The sign on a bathroom stall is not going to stop a predator from assaulting someone in a bathroom. And also, like, I've been assaulted. It was in a big open space with tons of people around. And that dude did not give a shit if I was in a bathroom or how many people were around. So stop, like, persecuting trans people. Pretend you actually give a shit about my safety. Fuck you. Right. You just don't want to come out of your tiny little box. Yeah. Not you. The other people. Don't attack me, Kelly. (laughs) <laughs> I'll attack you and your tiny little box. Oh my god, my tiny little box! How do you know how big my box is? I'm swinging my box around here. <laughs> but yeah, there's oh. just layers and layers of hypocrisy, and we could go on all day. But oh, we it is, could. It is Kelly's turn, and I need to just sit back and drink some wine because it is infuriating. But we love you, and that, that, that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think we, we love can say. you. We see you. We know who you are like we love you for who you are there is that there's not a, who people think you should be there is actually a trans woman that uh we follow on <sighs> instagram i was looking at her stuff yeah today. i okay so i made a huge ass out of myself because she posted uh something about her going to the beach and like feeling really good yeah, you about like, herself beach and wolf? well she she said something <laughs> she's like, a house wolf well there she said that there was a beach wolf photo bombing one of her photos and i'm thinking is this like a regional wildlife like are there specifically wolves that hang around the beaches and so I was like you look really lovely like blah 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 but beach wolf and she's like oh no no, no. that's my German shepherd but the German shepherd is like such a big crazy massive animal like it's a house wolf when it's in the house and then when we're at the beach it's a beach wolf and I'm like well I feel like a dumbass I love you but I love I love seeing her journey but you do get to see like those struggles and actually I've thought about reaching out to her maybe we can interview her for pride because i would love, I'd love to get if more she's, insight if she's on willing her journey. that would be awesome yeah so it, yeah. i don't know if she listens but shout out you're fucking gorgeous and we love you and yes. we love your beach wolf and your house wolf even and though it's the same wolf. thing we love your your uh locational wolves yes <laughs> <laughs> all right i guess i'll get on to mine please do because i'm which is angry. still depressing no but it's depressing in a different way bring back bring back grace o'malley yeah right so I'm covering um, Gerda Pohorl. You'll you'll recognize her her other name later. It, well, her name's her taken name later in life is Gerda Taro. Gerda Taro. So she goes from Gerta to Gerda. So T to okay. D. She switches her name. And this was um, recommended to me on Twitter by two different people. Like a long time ago, um, at Margie Stevens recommended it. More recently, Kara recommended it, and so she's been on my list for a while, and so I finally just did it. I, I get nervous when people recommend things because I want to do a good job, so I always end up, like, over-researching. Well, because, you know, you read the story, and then you don't want them to be yeah. like, you forgot this one thing right, that exactly. I thought was really important, and how dare you? So hopefully both of you find it lovely. Love you. So yeah, she was born Gerda Pohorl. On August 1st, 1910, in Stuttgart, Germany. So we're going back to Nazi Germany. Oh, no. Not not right away. (laughs) She was born 
to Gisela Borel and Heinrich Pohorel, a middle-class Jewish family that had recently immigrated from East Gal- Galicia. So her family just moved there. There's not a lot about like, or at least the sources I looked at didn't cover a lot of her childhood because that's not what she's known for. It's not really important. But she did attend Queen Charlotte High School. And then later she went to business college, spending a year at the La Seine boarding school in between. I always assume if there's not a lot on someone's childhood, it was probably pretty typical. Like, like I always feel really good. Like, oh, thank God there's nothing on your childhood. It was probably normal and not depressing. Um, in 1929, the family moved to Leipzig just prior to the rise of Nazi Germany. Uh, Goethe opposed the National National Socialist German Workers' Party, a.k.a. the Nazi Party. That's just what they were called in yep. Germany. Um, and she became interested in leftist politics. In 1933, following the Nazi Party's coming to power, she was arrested and detained for distributing propaganda against the National Socialists. Eventually, her entire family was forced to leave Germany, and they all kind of went in different directions. And unfortunately, she never got to see her family again. Oh, no. So she went to Paris. Her parents attempted to reach the mandatory Palestine. Uh, it was also at the time known as Ertz Yisrael, which at the time, that was that's what it was known by Jews at the time, seeking to reestablish a safe homeland. Oh, so this was, so they're fleeing Germany and going to Palestine Palestine and being like, okay, we all need to get together and just like not get murdered. Yeah. Um, And her brothers went to England. So her parents, Palestine, her brothers went to England and she went to France. Okay. Yay. God, that sucks. And they never, they never reconnected. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I guess I don't know about the rest of her family, but she never saw her family again. Spoilers. Sad spoilers. When she moved to Paris in 1934 to escape Hitler's Germany, she met photojournalist Andre Friedman. Okay. So photojournalist Andre Friedman. He was a Hungarian Jew who had also come seeking asylum. He had achieved a small amount of success in Berlin um, before coming to Paris. Um, and in Paris, however, he was he was struggling. You know, like there wasn't a lot of work because Berlin had been the, part of the photographic revolution and Paris hadn't quite got there yet. So Berlin was super into what he was doing and Paris was kind small, of catching... Small amount of success. Yeah. Okay. So in summer of 1934, when they met, um, he had taken a job for a Swiss insurance brochure and the commission required him to find a blonde, blue-eyed model, which makes sense because... Swiss. Okay. Um, he spotted Ruth Kerf, a friend and and the the roommate of Gerda, at a cafe, and she rock, reluctantly agreed to model for him. She brought she brought Gerda along with her, who immediately warmed to the disheveled photographer. She was fascinated by photography, and on seeing his work, convinced of his brilliance. They fell in short. Long story short, they fell in love. I love he's looking for this like blonde, blue-eyed bombshell, and then and I mean he found her. The the but then he falls in love with the Jewish girl. The little Swiss Miss brings along her like you know duff roommate, and that's like oh my god, I love her. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so after that, she she you know he kind of took her under his wing, taught her a little bit about photography, and she began working for the Alliance Alliance Photo as a picture editor. What's the Alliance photo? Is that just like a newspaper? I think so. I didn't really okay. look into it. Um, Alliance sounds uh, I know, particularly right? resistancy to me, so I was just curious. In 1936, Gerda received her first photojournalistic cr- credential. However, despite their efforts, both of them were struggling to make ends meet. 
Um, Paris was starting to overtake Berlin as the center of modern photojournalism. Um, and there was plenty of competition for work and recognition, um, but it was a really intense market. And the pair's poverty, obscurity, and foreignness, as well as their names, Friedman and Pahoral, were branding them as immigrants and Jews. Uh, um, so even France wasn't super cool with it. Well, it was, just, it was kind of just the, the, the world at thing. large. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Boo. So Goethe realized this, and together they came up with a plan. They made... Uh, Friedman claimed to be an agent of the photographer Robert Kappa, a name that they invented together. Um, they would both take photographs and sell them as work of this non-existent American photographer, Robert Kappa. That is brilliant. Right? It, oh, my God. Yeah, it, was, it ended up being a very convenient way of overcoming political intolerance in Europe and, you know, even attracting American work. That is awesome. That reminds me. In the early days of our Instagram, you posted a picture of a pen with a quote from Virginia Woolf that said something like, "For throughout most of history, Anonymous has been a woman. And yeah. just that whole tradition of having to come up with a new name to defy the prejudice and the political bullshit of the time. Right. Good for them. Yeah. I mean, it sucks they had to do it, but... Right. So Friedman ended up keeping... Like, as things went on, he ended up keeping Kappa for his own name. So, essentially, he just became Robert Kappa, and Pahoral, um adopted a name of her own, going by Gerda Taro. After, she designed the name after the uh, Japanese artist Taro Okamoto and the Swedish actress Gar- Greta Garbo. So, she that just kind of combined those two together. Awesome. And they, the, they continued working together... Um, to cover events surrounding the coming to power of the popular front in 1930s France. So they became war photographers. That must have been so fun. What a great nine to five to right? have. Um, so when the Spanish Civil War, in the midst of everything else going on in the 1930s, when the Spanish Civil War broke out in 1936. Shit wasn't crazy already. Um, Gerda traveled to Barcelona, Spain to cover the events with Kappa and their friend David C- Chim. That was his nickname. Seymour. I don't know why Chim was his nickname. Um, she acquired the nickname of La Pequena Rubia, or the Little Blonde. So she must have been blonde, too. Oh. Um, Gerda had never been to Spain, and the atmosphere in these early days was electric. One of their first stories was to document a group of militia women who were members of the Unified Socialist Party of Catalonia, a.k.a. the Catalan branch of the Communist Party of Spain. Just so it was a note. bunch of women yeah. fighting in the Civil War. Okay. Yep, they were training on a beach nearby where they were they were staying, and um, so these women were dressed in overalls and armed with guns in what was a highly conservative society. It was very unique. There's actually a really that I'll put on the blog. It's a really stunning image that Gerda captured of a young militia uh, woman wearing heels, crouched down on one knee, aiming a pistol. Wow. Yeah, like it's it's really interesting. That kind of reminds me. I haven't done a ton of reading. It's one of those things that kind of pops up on social media. I do like a very cursory absorption. Mm-hmm. Um, there are women who were fighting ISIS and for like the ISIS organization was very much like if you're killed by a woman, that's the ultimate fuck up. Like nothing good happens to you in the afterlife. Like you're su- yeah. And they're scared of women. And so these women are like. 
bring it on. That's and awesome. like, there are lots of photos of them, you know, organizing and fighting and just kind of like weaponizing their femininity. Good for them. Oh, that was a hard word when I'm two you got bottles it, in. Um, against a terrorist organization yeah. being like, hey, if you don't fucking like us, bring it yeah, on. We're going to come after you. <laughs> you better get the fuck out of here. Right. Um, so they continued to cover the war together in northeastern Aragon. Aragon. Aragon? I don't know. I think it's Aragon because that's where Catherine of Aragon was yeah, from. So Aragon. Oh my and God, in, we were talking about Henry yeah, right? last time too. Get out! And in the southern Cordoba province, um, they were always together under the... Co- under the common and using a boat, the bogus signature of Robert Kappa. Um, they succeeded in publishing through important publications under that name. So that's good. Their early war photograph- uh, photographs are distinguishable because Goethe would use a Rollier camera, which rendered square photographs, while um, Kappa would produce rectangular photographs using his camera. Um, there was a slight crossover in 1937 that they produced... Um, they were both working with 35 millimeter pictures and they both worked under the label of Kappa and Taro. So like sometimes work is credited to him when it was her and vice versa. I mean, you can't imagine kind of them... more him to her. Like, yeah. But, you know, but you can't imagine them thinking of that. Like she's not like, well, I'm going to take square photographs and you take the rectangles because I want people to be able to distinguish right. was, my work. From it was yours. probably just whatever camera that. they had at the yeah. time. And I mean... You don't think of that in your legacy and then having your work stolen from you because right. you can always be like, I took that, I took that. He took that one, but I took that. Right. But you're not always around to defend your own work and history gets exactly. real murky real quick. Um, so they would tra- they traveled across the country during this war and she bore witness to the suffering of the civilian population and the realities of life for soldiers on the front line. In February 1937, she journeyed with Kappa to the... Andalusian coast to cover thousands of civilians fleeing a nationalist advance on the su- on the southern city of Malaga. The French title Regards ran a number of her images from the, this story and the story was credited to Capa et Tarot. So like she did all these pictures and they still got credited to both of them. Yeah. Subsequently, uh, Gerda attained some independence. She refused Capa's marriage proposal Yep. Oh, I thought they were married at this point. No, they were just dating. Mm-hmm. Okay. This whole time they've just been dating. Wow. Um, she also became publicly related to the to a circle of anti-fascist European and intellectuals, which also included Ernest Hemingway and George Orwell, which is pretty sweet. You know, it's funny that you bring up Ernest Hemingway because I was just going to ask if she ever met Martha Gellhorn because you're talking about. I don't the know Spanish if she did, Civil but War. she met her asshole husband. Oh. Fuck Ernest. Right. Um, but they, 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 they crusaded um, particularly for the Spanish Republic. Um, Cesor, a communist newspaper in France, signed her for publishing um, her works only. So like at this point, she has a deal with a newspaper mm. to just publish her own work. Um, at this time, she also began to commercialize her production of the photo tarot label. Like, so she was getting away from the Kappa and tarot label. She's striking out on her own. Right. Regards Life, Illustrated London News, and Volks Illustratia um, were amongst publications that used her work. So that's pretty sweet. Wow. It, it's interesting because she she flees Nazi Germany because she's being persecuted. She meets 
Kappa. Yep. You know, they, they're dating, they're in love, and then they start kind of doing their own thing. He proposes, and, she, and she's like, you know what? No, I want to do my own thing. And she seems to really lean into her independence and really start striking out on her own. Right. And, like, good for her for knowing that, hey, this this kind of commitment isn't what I want. I really want to focus on my photography because yeah, exactly. that's hard, especially at the time where that was the expectation. And for her to meet someone who shared her passions, she, I mean, I'm sure that right. was very fortunate for her. Well, and she was, she did a lot of photographing on the front lines, which is something not a lot of people did at the time, especially women. Oh yeah. I was going to say, cause who else, oh, who was it? The other photojournalist I covered that I can't think of her name, and that's really a shame right now. Oh, my now. God. She but bathed she also in Hitler's bathtub. Was, is she the one I was thinking of? I was thinking of the one that was, like, literally at D-Day with the troops. Oh, that was Martha Gellhorn. Yeah. Lee Miller was the one who took yeah. the photos So Martha Gellhorn, yeah. Like, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. Like, women weren't generally on the front, because even Lee Miller was kind of, like, behind, because, like, she waited until, like, it was she it was clear, and then she went. yeah. But yeah, so yeah, so she she was on the front lines. It was intense. Wow. So she went on to report the Valencia bombing alone, which is a huge thing. She um she took a lot of pictures of like the civilians that were affected by these nightly bombings of the city. There's a picture that's just like a bunch of people pressed up against a gate because they're waiting for the morgue to open. Like oh it's my really sad. God. Um, and these pictures from this bombed area and th- these civilians are among her most celebrated because, of course, but they're a, like heart wrenching. Yeah. What a tragedy. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like you can argue who's right, who's wrong, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you're a civilian caught in the middle of everything and you've lost family members, you don't really give a shit no, who's right a- and wrong anymore. It's like, I no. just kind of don't want to die. Right. <laughs> Two months later, Taro documented the biggest Republican offensive yet, the Battle of Brunei. She threw herself into the heart of the action, compelled to experience the conflict firsthand. The experience sealed her reputation as a photojournalist, but it also marked the end of her mar- remarkable career. What? No! She's just getting started! Oh, I just like kicked the desk. So, part of this battle is the nationalist propaganda claimed that the region was under its control and that Republican forces had... In uh, forced a faction out, um, but her photograph showed that 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 was not true. Mm. But unfortunately, on July 26, 1937, she was wounded by an out of control tank while hitching a lift back from the front, and she died the following day in the hospital. What? So supposedly, the way it went down. See, most people don't say it was an out of control tank. So one way one person put it was that she hopped onto the running board of a general's car that was carrying wounded soldiers to like get back, you know, she, to the she's front. on the front doing her pictures and she's like, hey, yep. are you heading away from yeah. this shit? Can I just grab on? And a Republican tank crashed into the side where she was and she suffered critical wounds. Die- like I said, dying the following day. What a weird fucking I know. scenario. I know. Um, I get what and, is insane, but Jesus. And it said like it even says in a lot of like. The circumstances of of her death have been, like, questioned by some people. Especially because she had a lot of powerful people who were not super happy with her. Yeah. Um, So, like, Robin Stummer, who's a British journalist, particularly, like, mused uh, that that maybe she was a victim of, like, the Stalinist purge of communists and socialists in Spain, you know, aligned with the Russians and stuff. 
Um, they never proved it. Like they never provided any evidence for that. They just said like, hey, this this might have been a thing. It just it seems like a crazy coincidence that someone who has made so many political enemies right. for outing their bullshit just right. happened. Yeah. Granted, she is operating in the front exactly. of a war zone. And that's what it says. Supposedly, um, a Spanish newspaper spoke to, not supposedly, a Spanish newspaper did speak mm-hmm. to a nephew of a Republican soldier that was at that battle um, and explained that she died in an accident. According to the eyewitness account of this person's uncle, she had been run over by a reversing tank and she died from her wounds. The tank driver didn't even realize what he had done. I guess, okay, I guess remembering that she's operating in a war zone. Here's the thing. If she had just got gotten hit by a stray bullet, I would find that very believable. But the idea that she got hit by a tank that just didn't see her because she was clinging to the side of a, another vehicle, it just seems so crazy. It does. But if they're going to take her out, you think they'd do something that was a little more clean and coherent you know yeah. you just you shoot think it, her yeah you think it would be like a, a stray bullet yeah quote unsexy quotes when right. was the last time we did sexy quotes i think it's we did it once and all of our quotes have been decidedly unsexy, unsexy. <laughs> so um due to her political com- commitment she had become a respected anti-fascist and she was well loved for her photographs um so on February, August, not February, August 1st, 1937, on what would have been her 27th birthday. So she died oh when she was my 26. God, I, we're older than yeah. her. Um, the French, no. the French Communist Party gave her a grand funeral in Paris, drawing tens of thousands of people onto the streets oh. for her. She is buried at Pere Lachaise Cemetery. Um, and Alberto Gio Cometti was, um, was commissioned to actually like make her grave piece oh my god yeah um there is a picture it's nobody knows for sure but there, there is a picture out there that's supposedly her on her deathbed in the hospital in the war hospital um that was released by the son of a do- the doctor who supposedly tr- treated her but like nobody's been able to actually like verify that it's her yeah it's not like she was tagged in it on no, Facebook exactly. or something. So, um, legacy. So, her between her and Kappa, like they kind of changed the face of war photography because they were willing to get in there and like be on the front lines. And you know, she but she was also taking like the civilian photos too, on top of being on the front lines, right? So she has that for her legacy. Um, different photo centers are still exhibiting her work. Like, they kind of travel around, you know. Um, in October 28, the city of Stuttgart, where she was named, um, named a square after her. Oh, Yeah. So, it's the Gerdo, Gerdo Taro Platz. Um, and they redesigned it in 2014 to, incl- to include um, nine metal stells, each with one letter of her name cut out, so it's visible at a distance. Oh, yeah, I think that's so really cool. it wasn't just like, oh, we're doing this thing, but we're going to happen to name it after her. It's like, no, this is hers. it's like they named it after her and then they redesigned it. And like, yeah, yeah. They're like, no, 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 no. If there was any confusion, this is Gerda's. Um, in summer 2016, there was an open air display of her S- Spanish Civil War photographs um, at a festival in Leipzig. So where her family lived for a while um, when the festival ended, um, crowdfunding and part of the government paid for that to become permanent. However, 
Someone decided to destroy her work by smearing it with black paint. No. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Um. No. Crowd. There is a crowdfunding project, or there was to to restore the work, and the destroyed work remains in place. It is suspected that the destruction is motivated by anti-refugee or anti-Semitic sentiments. So that was 2016. I, I didn't see any updates on if it's been cleaned. So yeah. Can I, I just we'll say see. like the anti-refugee, anti all that stuff? Like you guys never come out looking good. You're always right. the assholes. You are always the assholes. So I don't know when you think the tide's going to turn here, but you are forever the assholes. And it's only going to be reasserted the longer time goes on. Right. What the hell? I know. That's like, okay, did you hear, speaking of destroying like history, did you hear about uh, when the sign to Auschwitz was stolen? Yeah. Yeah. And like, the, who the fuck does that? Not only that, but the thieves cut it in half yeah. down the middle to make it easier to transport so they did get it back and they did put it back but there's a well because they I had know, to put it back terrible. together i was like you did that how what the f- of all the shit you could steal like that's this just was terrible. it this yeah. was your plan fuck you right. you should have been hit by a backing up tank damn it <laughs> so there is a film about it's called the mexican suitcase it's about 4,500 negatives that were lost that were taken by Taro Kappa and David Seymour when they were covering the Spanish Civil War. It was recovered, and that suitcase and the negatives are now housed in the International Center of Photography in New York. But, like, wow. it's 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 the story of how they lost the suitcase and all their negatives. It actually sounds like it might be a really good documentary. I was going to say, that sounds awesome. Can we get drunk and watch that? Yes. <laughs> Madrid named a street after her. Which is kind of nice. Uh, that was in 2017. Um, in 2018, the city of Leipzig also named a new the new a new gymnasium after her that could hold 12 1200 students. I love that it she's... is near the display of the photographs. Okay, I love that she's getting all this love from Spain because she was she moved there German. Yep. moved to France and then, but she did and all that work the Spanish Civil War yep. for the Spanish Civil War. Well, so... Leipzig is in Germany. Okay. Oh, yeah, because she lived there for a little bit, but yeah, just her family you know. Lived there. But yeah, Spain like was like yeah. You know, Madrid naming a fucking street after her is fantastic. Um, she was also highlighted on Google's Doodle on August first, twenty eighteen. Yay! Yay! I love the Google Doodle. So yeah, that is Gerda Taro. Gerda Taro, and Died she changed young. her name from was it Gerta? Gerta. Okay. Uh, Pohoro. Gerda Taro after Greta. Garbo and, and Taro. Oh God, let me find that again because I don't want to like missay it because that right. would be terrible. I have to uh, cover her. Taro Akimoto. Taro Akimoto, which was a dude. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Because we you said be her, I was him. like, let me just double check. But yeah, I know that was a, he was a Japanese painting uh, painter. Good for him. Cool. Well, we won't cover him, but props. Yeah. Cheers, dude. That's man and. What a short life. She did a lot, though. What a... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you for sharing that. I, I'm i well, sorry I, that it was, like, kind of a bummer story, like, a really bummer well, story, was, and then, like, a still bummer story. Like, usually we kind of level each other out, but not this time. That was really fascinating, though, especially talking about the Spanish Civil War, because I that was kind of in my head from, you know, your Martha Gellhorn story, because yep. I know that was kind of... 
her where she really like started to rev up with her journal her right. war journalism yeah and then i mean she got super into world war Two. yeah but we don't think about the you know the spanish civil war because world war Two was going on it's right. like uh nazis hello they suck let's talk about how much they suck for the next billion years right because apparently people still don't get that but that was that's really interesting thank you for sharing that You're welcome. i've never heard of her or anything around her like yeah like you've heard her name because people suggested her to us but that's about it yeah well there you go thank you for sharing that you're welcome what are you thankful for um i am thankful so this is a little bit like a spoiler slash teaser we recently recorded with another history podcaster for an episode and i won't give away too many details it may be out by the time this this episode airs but um we got to talk with this other amazing podcaster and Kelly and I were so fucking nervous because I'm in- still nervous because I, ha- I, <laughs> I know the episode hasn't been edited yet and yeah. I'm just waiting for yeah we have to re-record it <laughs> yeah it's like you know I'm actually not going to release this episode because it you was terrible are a little much but you know Kelly and I have known each other for so long and we're very comfortable bullshitting together but then to yeah, be on someone else's podcast it's like oh, will he like us will his listeners like us oh my god what if it only gets one listen yeah, and right? it, like know, what if it's like his worst episode ever exactly so uh we're definitely gonna be blowing that shit up on social media once it comes out but we don't want to like give away too much yet right. but we are covering an incredible musician from history she has this incredible story and i i had heard her name but never like didn't know anything about her. So yeah, it was really interesting because I'm I was in the same boat. Like I had heard one of her songs, hadn't realized it was her song, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, then reading about her history and stuff was really incredible. Yeah, and she's got an an insane story. So we'll be like I said in the next episode we record, we'll probably tell you where to find that. But yeah. follow us on Just social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. And we'll be posting about it. Yes. But yes, we will. be on the lookout for that. But we were just like really, I'm really thankful. We I was were like, I'm really thankful too. So yeah. there you go. We're covering, ooh, we're covering both as I hit Emily <laughs> with a table. Flip that table, motherfucker. Let's but not, yeah. this table is expensive. But we'll definitely be having uh, that host on our podcast too at some point in the future. But yeah, yeah. like we said this, I think at the end of 2019, 2020 is kind of the, the year of crossovers. Yes, also, we, we have more coming up. Probably also, not until March, but I'm still excited about yes. that. But also, we were featured on the uh, the Presidencies of the United States podcast. Kelly and I both recorded quotes from... Famous presidents. Famous pre- Well, mine was not a president. Adlai Stevenson, I'm pretty sure, was not a president. Oh, I didn't realize that's who your quote was from. Yeah. Who would you do the quote for? William Howard Taft. Yeah. He so was you a, did a He president. was a president. But uh, it's a special oh, episode about the primary. So I was the- say, I bet he ran for president. Maybe. I, I've heard the name. I, I should actually do some research on him because I was just the voice. But the Presidencies of the United States podcast is a podcast about, you know, different presidents throughout the United States, the history of the presidency, how the whole system works. And I know there's been a ton of extra interest in, hey, how does this work? And maybe we can make it better in the recent years. So definitely check it out. It's so well researched. It's so informative. Uh, highly recommend. But we, Kelly and I, you can hear our quotes in the first few minutes of the uh, 
primaries episode. Yeah, he ran for president twice. Oh, Adlai Stevenson. Yeah. Oh man, Adlai, come on, man. He did become a UN ambassador, so. Oh you well, know. that's pretty. That he probably was actually better off. Probably. Let's be <laughs> but yeah, because it, I I figured it was he had to at least be a nomination because it was about primaries and stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's so, super fascinating. I'm working my way through the list. If you're a binger, there are plenty of episodes. I'm really to excited to. about because this one is going to be the first in his series about like elections because we're coming. America's coming into an election year. Yep. Woo. Oh my god. Hear the excitement. I mean, I'm excited for certain things in relation to this um, election, but there's a lot of potential for things that, to go well, and there's is, a lot of potential. This for is things the to go wrong. definitely number one time that I'm like, I'm so thankful I don't have cable. Yeah, I just remember like being a child and like all the fucking political ads. But I'm I'm getting text messages from candidates. Thank oh God. man, um, I'm on some lists. But like, <laughs> so he's starting like a whole like how the elections of the U.S. work series, and this is the first one in that series, and I'm actually really excited for and it. And here's because I don't know a lot of the inner workings. Yeah, it, I think it was the last election I got really involved because. Um, the first election I was able to vote in was Obama's. Yeah, we went and voted together. Term. No, second the term. The first election I was able to vote in. Oh, I wasn't. Oh no, no, we, we didn't vote. vote this first time. We weren't old Shit. enough. We were just, just too young. That's right. We just missed the mark. So the first time we voted was Obama's uh, second term. Yeah, and you know we both voted for Obama. I was pretty cool with him. I wasn't super cool with the whole like. If a rape is legitimate, a woman's body just shuts down. She doesn't get pregnant. Shit that his opponent was spouting, but whatever. Um, and but I wasn't super. In- I mean, we're in college. We're so busy. I wasn't super right. engaged in the process. But this last election. Oh no! Like I went to the primaries this last election. Yeah, like we went I got together. I got involved. Yeah, and so. I th- and I'll probably do it again this it's year. It's so important for well, we us. We did go to- together. We almost got lost in the high school. That's yeah. right. But it's so important for us to understand how our own government works. Right. Because I remember taking classes in high school, but it didn't quite click until I'm trying to figure out how right. it works practically for myself. But no, myself. presidency of the United States, has, at least this first episode, has done such a good job of like explaining stuff. Like, go listen to it. I feel smarter and like a more responsible citizen. Right, exactly. Yeah. I feel like I deserve to live here <laughs> a little bit. But yeah, we're doing a bunch of, you know, crossovers, guest spots. We're we're getting out there and, and we'll bring people on t- here too. Oh obviously. yeah. Oh yeah. If you here's the other thing. I'm also discovering some other cool podcasts like Grape Culture and the Uh-oh feeling. Oh, the Uh-oh feeling. And I've been I've been kind of talking about them on social media like, "Oh my god, can we like all just get together and drink wine and just well, the Uh-oh each feeling, other?" <laughs> it's like they're close. We might actually be able to like I know in person. Get, I think we have a we them. have a we mutual have a mutual friend. friend. So, but yeah, we're just really excited. And so, if you, there are any other podcasts that you think would like us and we would like them, shout them out and we'll listen and maybe we'll all become best friends and have some amazing crossover episodes. Heck yeah, yeah. So that was a that was long. That was a lot. Yeah. Kelly, what are you? <laughs> no, I already said I I I latched okay. on to yours like two episodes ago. You latched on to mine. You're my little uh oh god, where are they called? Those little fish with the flat heads that go on sharks. Remore. Hey, Remore. You're my little we, Remore. We have a um symbiotic relationship. <laughs> Which I, one of us is the? Is that the right? Yeah. Yeah. We have this where we 
we, we there's a mutual there's a mutual benefit. benefit. Neither of us is a parasite. And I was like, I'm pretty sure symbiotic. I was just right gonna one. ask you which one of us is the parasite, and I'm like, no, that's not how that works. No, I'm not a leech. I'm a remore. All right. Anyway, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod, Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. And our email, which we would love to hear from you at, is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. Tell us about the women in your life or the men in your life. We'll give them a say their name or we'll research them and give them a whole episode. We want to hear from you. And if there's anything you feel we can do better, please let us know. Also, rate us five stars wherever you listen, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. We've gotten a bunch of new reviews on there. And I actually like reread the same ones when I'm feeling really sad. I know. I know. And I'm like, (laughs) man, I suck at podcasting. I go and read our reviews and I'm like, people like me. Yeah. So thank you so much for the love we've been getting. And Give us more. We're insatiable. Yes. We also have a Patreon now. You can just search for Whining About Herstory on Patreon. Um, you can donate as little as $1 and, you know, just, you know, feed our wine addiction. Guys, we get it. You know, women are making 70 cents of the dollar of men. So we're making this soups, a pr- like, affordable. Yes. Yes, yes, we are. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.